0: First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows.
1: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. So it will be also at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and not let his house be broken into. So too, you also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. The Gospel of the Lord.
2: Well, this Sunday, you know, we begin the holy season of Advent. Preparing for the coming of Christ. Here's a little pop quiz for you. Do you remember what gospel we have been studying all last year? Luke. And this year, we begin the new gospel of Matthew. As we begin this new season, this new liturgical year, and the new gospel where we focus primarily on Matthew, although we're intermittently here from the gospel of John, I thought it would be good to take this time, as I try to do each year at First Sunday of Advent, to speak a little bit about the gospel in general. So can I say a few introductory comments about Matthew and his community so we can have an appreciation of where they're coming from and therefore I'm hopeful that we will appreciate much more the message that comes to us today. To begin with, uh, scripture scholars tell us that we really don't know who Matthew was, that is the author of this first gospel. Although it's named after Matthew the tax collector and apostle of Jesus, in the times of Christ, they took great liberty in assuming the name of someone well-known and respected by the community, uh, even though that wasn't the exact author himself. So, what we can imagine is that this great inspired evangelist was most probably a scribe who was well-versed in the Torah, the Hebrew law, and the sacred scriptures, the prophets, and knew well about the Jewish tradition. Because repeatedly throughout the gospel, he accurately and consistently refers to the Law, and the Prophets. In fact, you often hear the expression, and this is to fulfill what was said by the Prophets... Dot, dot, dot. The date of the composition of the Gospel is probably around 85 AD. Now that is an important date because it situates this Gospel years after the destruction of the Temple in 70 AD when the Jewish Christian Church was just being born in a new and exciting way. I'll explain that momentarily. The community of Matthew was primarily Jewish, living probably around the area of Antioch in Syria, north of Israel, the first place where they were called Christian. The crisis that was happening in this Christian Jewish community was that the Pharisees were beginning to be intolerant of those fellow Jews who were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were beginning to excommunicate them, send them out of the community, literally, for anyone who would profess Jesus is the Lord. And so this small Christian Jewish sect within Judaism was struggling with their very identity and... Actually, they're very spiritual survival, wondering, who are we? What do we really believe? Because up to this time, they've always seen themselves as faithful Jews. But obviously, they're beginning to realize they're much more than that because of the fulfillment they find in Jesus. So the major theme and, in fact, the very purpose of Matthew's gospel is to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of, Of the Old Testament. He is the one who fulfills the law and the prophets. He is the one who brings the new law and establishes a new covenant with the new Israel, the people of the church. And so one of the great statements in Matthew's Gospel chapter 5 is, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For this purpose, it seems fitting that Matthew would be the first gospel in the New Testament that appears, as you would know, because it is just like a bridge from the Old to the New Testament times, even though the Gospel of Mark would have been written 15 years or so earlier. In fact, Matthew would have used a lot of Mark as a guide because much of the synoptic Gospels, you know who the synoptic Gospels are, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke they take the word synoptic because they're seen together, they parallel one another in the structure of the Gospel, which Matthew uses but adopts to his special purpose. Being that he's addressing this Gospel to a primary Jewish congregation, he sets it up in a structure that would resemble the five books of the Torah. That would make sense, right? And so he collects all the sayings of Jesus and puts them together into five major discourses or sermons, if you will. Each of these discourses or sermons of Christ is introduced by a long narrative. And so you have... A narrative followed by the teaching of Christ to show that Jesus taught first by his deeds and then by his words. And he was a man, therefore, of great integrity, unlike, as Matthew will point out, the scribes and the Pharisees whose words are bold, but their deeds are few. So Jesus stands out as the exemplar teacher. Matthew's gospel is sometimes referred to as the catechism of the church because here is in the most succinct and quintessential form, Jesus' message and Jesus' mission. A lot is being said today about the need to look at the new catechism of the church as has been promulgated now in in the Catholic church. But I always say, don't forget the primary catechism, which is the gospel, and that everything in the Other catechism is simply a development, hopefully, of the primary revelation in the scriptures. But the scriptures has a certain preeminent role in revelation. But again, scripture goes hand in hand with tradition. The only other point I want to make is we look at Matthew's gospel. We will see how he frames this gospel beautifully by beginning with the infancy narrative You know, not all the Gospels have that. Of the four, only two, Matthew and Luke, have the infancy narrative. Matthew begins by talking about Emmanuel, God with us. So from the very start, Jesus shows God is with us. And he ends the Gospel by Jesus promising, I will be with you always. And so the framework of this Gospel is the perpetual presence of, and promise a presence of Jesus with his church for all time, from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is with us now and forevermore. Amen. So with that little background, we could look to this Sunday's gospel, which interestingly begins toward the end of Matthew's gospel. We need to first understand why would the first Sunday of Advent, when we're anticipating the celebration of the birth and nativity of Christ, begin at the end of the gospel. It is because Advent is a time when we not only look back at the birth of Christ, but even more, look forward to the second coming of Christ. It is, if you will, going back to the future. We look back to see how Christ came, so that we could understand how he will continually come in a humble and simple and powerful way. And so this gospel today will reflect on what we call in theological terms the parousia. That means the second coming of Christ. If you want to impress somebody this week, talk about the parousia. It means that Christ coming a second time. I wish they would have included this verse In today's gospel, but this is a previous verse, because as soon as you talk about the end of time and Jesus' second coming, people want to talk about the change of the millennium and predicting the end. But Jesus says, and I quote, But as for that final day or hour, nobody knows it. Did you hear me? (laughs) Nobody knows it, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man. No one but the Father alone. Isn't that interesting? So, so much for the predictions of the end of time. I saw a cute cartoon, by the way, of man that was carrying this sandwich sign that said, The end is near. And two guys looking across the street were saying, Boy, there's a prophet of doom for you. Another guy says, No, he's just a depressed Cleveland Browns fan. As we begin this discussion on the end of time, don't be caught up trying to figure this out on a calendar date. Rather, because that's futile. I mean, why? I mean, people have been predicting the end of time since the beginning of time. So far, everybody's been wrong. What we need to understand is in this, if I can use another quarter word, eschatological, meaning, it's a word that means the end of time in Greek, eschatological age in which we live, we're living in the end of time, which is a time of urgency. It's important and even urgent that we turn to the Lord now, lest we do not have much time in view of eternity. And so Jesus says to his disciples, the coming of the Son of Man will be like in the days of Noah. Remember the days of Noah, he goes on to say, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being married, right up to the day Noah entered the ark. They were totally unconcerned until the flood started coming and destroyed them. And so will it be when the Son of Man comes. In other words, we will just go on living like nothing's happening. And then we will be surprised and even shocked when Christ is coming when we least expect it. And when do we least expect Christ's coming? Now, right now, in the present time. We are so often, as Americans, fixated either looking back in the past or looking ahead to the future. And we become so preoccupied with past or future, we fail to live in the present moment. Can you identify with that? It takes a great discipline not to worry about the future, not to feel bad about the past, but live the present moment. And it is in the present moment that is the time of Christ's coming. In Scripture, the Greek word is kairos. It's, kairos is a pregnant time. Think of that in terms of Advent. And Mary, expectant of his coming. We're living in kairos time. All time is precious. For it contains Christ as he comes to us. So often I'm with people. Talk about being betwixt in between period where they feel they're not growing. Or nothing much is happening. And they feel stuck in a certain time. And I always wish to invite them to consider every moment is a sacrament, a moment of Christ coming to those who have eyes of faith in a heart that invites the Lord. Every moment is precious. is a time of gift and grace that God will use every moment and every situation and even every person in our life. No matter how bad our job might be, how bad our life is getting, how Dry or prayer might seem, every moment is a moment that's pregnant with possibilities because of what the Lord can do and will do in the moment if we turn to Him. This is the message. And so Jesus goes on to say, almost hearing Him say, let me give you another illustration. Two men are out in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain, one will be taken, the other will be left. Stay awake, therefore. You cannot know the day your Lord is coming. What he's speaking of is not only, in my mind, death, which always comes to us as a surprise. I I think we mentioned Father Bramlage's father died. His father has been dying for some time. But when the call came at 5 o'clock this morning, I answered it, and I talked to Father Bramlage. He told me his father just died. You know, even though he's been expecting it, for maybe months or weeks, it still catches you off guard, doesn't it? So even though we could, in a sense, expect death, still there's something about it that catches us off guard that we need to prepare for. And what is that preparation for death other than to live life, eternal life? That's the preparation for dying. Dying to ourselves to live for the Lord eternally in heaven. But here, the kingdom begins, here and now. And so we should stay awake. Stay awake to what? What do we need to wake up to? But to the Lord's presence coming to us as He did years ago, 2,000 years ago. And isn't it interesting, when He came 2,000 years ago, most of the world was asleep. And most of the world did not recognize their King and their Savior Most of the world would not have known to look in Bethlehem in a barn in such a simple state, such an out-of-the-way place. There's a message there, isn't there? How Christ comes to us in the disguise of simplicity and humility. There is where we can experience and discover the Lord today. Jesus finally says in conclusion of this gospel this Sunday, Be sure of this. If the owner of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would have kept a careful, watchful eye and not allow his house to be broken into. So must you be prepared in the same way. For the Son of Man is coming at a time you least expect. Again, the theme of Advent is to have this constant vigilance, watchfulness, awakeness, awareness, of the Lord who comes, not as a thief, but as one, as a bridegroom, prepared to meet his bride for those who yearn and long for the Lord. And so, every moment during Advent, we should be preparing for the moment, for every moment is the moment of Christ's coming. But we have to, like a pregnant expectant mother makes some changes in our lives to prepare that place within us, within our hearts, within our homes, within our life. I've heard this so often from expectant mothers. It's good that they have nine months to prepare. I talked to my good friend, John, here expecting his first child soon. And all the preparations that go into preparing the nursery, preparing their schedules, preparing you know, all the psychological, emotional adjustments to make room for a child in their life, so must we do in our lives that if we are to enjoy the gift of Christ's coming. Each week, you know, I try to take this gospel and try to imagine how I could apply it to life. And I would like to share my own reflections as I begin this gospel, this season of Advent, But in sharing this, I have to tell you, this is one of my most embarrassing moments in life. As you will soon see. This past Thanksgiving weekend, I took the occasion on Friday to visit my sister and brother-in-law who live in Columbus and were unable to come home for the holiday because uh, he's a doctor and he was on call at the time. So I went up to be with them and my little nephews and... As I was coming home Saturday, driving from Columbus to Cincinnati, I inadvertently made the wrong turn. Instead of going onto I-71, I mistakenly went on to I-70. Because they had the same lane you originally get into, and then I just took the wrong turn off. Have you ever done something like this? No. Unfortunately, I did not... No, I had done this, and I put my car immediately on cruise control, along with my mind, obviously. I did not pay attention. I knew I was going where I had to go. I just put my mind on cruise control. I put a tape in the car, actually a tape of St. Matthew's Gospel. I was trying to prepare for this talk, and I started to prepare my thoughts for today, Somehow I passed all those little signs that said I-70. I didn't see them. I don't know how I didn't see them. Stay awake. Hello, Jim. I finally woke up like big time when I saw the big sign, Welcome to Indiana. Oh my God, how did I end up in Indiana? I am in an altered state of mind. So I want you to know, I have gone to great lengths to prepare this homily today. (laughs) If you only knew. I quickly took the first exit in Indiana to get straightened out. I went to a gas station and asked, where did I go? How did I get back? And a very kind man said, hey, I'm heading back, taking 75 South, follow me, which I did, and got back on track. Now as I'm getting into car I was so upset with myself and so embarrassed too and I I started to pray Lord how could this have happened I mean, how could I've gone so far off the road and this is what I heard the Lord say You know this happens a lot to my people especially With the way you live your life. We all set out in life to live right. To live, to follow the right path. And yet, clearly, we get off track. Clearly, we lose our way because we don't pay attention to the little signs Jesus gives us along the way. Signs like, the events of our life that try to show us what really matters in life. What our friends and family try to tell us. What wisdom teaches us. Most especially what faith shows us. The many signs of faith, most especially the scriptures themselves, given to us to point the way that leads to Christ. But somehow, so many of us never finally wake up, like me, until... The big sign appears. I'm talking about death of a friend or family. I'm talking about disease like cancer or heart failure or something tragic occurs. I'm talking about disaster, however it hits you and just throws you off course. Do You have to reassess where you are and where you're going. I'm talking about divorce, difficulty in the family talking about depression where you're forced to face where you are and relook at where you're going and these are the such critical and beautiful spiritual questions we must ask especially in this season of advent when we prepare the way of the lord but the problem is in this very season when we're trying to get on the right road that leads to the Lord, it happens that the holidays are the busiest days. And therefore, we end up inadvertently, unintentionally, getting on the highway that leads to a commercialism, to a consumerism that completely takes us far away from the way that leads to the Lord. We end up in a whole different state. I really think this. I still say, How did I end up in Indiana? But I believe so many of us end up far away from the little town of Bethlehem, way out beyond Jerusalem, because we're not clear what the goal of Advent is. What is the reason for this season? Where are we heading? What are we doing? We have to ask these questions. Where are we going in life? And how, especially in this season, are we heading? What is the path we need to take? Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.